Welcome back to Mike and Maurice's Mind Escape. Let us help you escape your mind. Folks, welcome back to Mike and Maurice's Mind Escape. We have episode number 159 today. We're going to be talking about sacred geometry, and uh, we'll also be talking about some metaphysics. Uh, our guest today is Ethan Indigo Smith. He is an author, a philosopher, and uh, he just has a general knowledge of all these esoteric topics that we talk about on the podcast a lot. Um, but uh, you can check out his link for his website down below. Uh, I have it down there at the bottom. And also check out our website at mindescapepodcast.com. Also check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash mindescapepodcast. For $2 a month, you'll get exclusive content and episodes. And one more thing, head on over to indrasweb.org and sign up to get an alert uh, when the app goes live. That's an app we created for, you know, rational discourse and fringe topics and hypotheses and theories and all that wonderful stuff. So that will be going live soon. So sign up to get an alert. And without further ado, welcome on the show, Ethan. Peace on earth. Thanks so much for having me, you guys. Thanks for joining us. Absolutely. Uh So uh, you just had a new uh, ebook come out. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, um, I I I recently published it, and I um, like to share it as a free ebook on on Amazon um, whenever I can. And uh, it's called Marijuana and the Prohibition of the Divine Feminine. And essentially, I relate how cannabis is reflective of the divine feminine um, in that there are so many uses for hemp and cannabis that it's um, like the mother plant. It's like the motherly uh, caretaker. Um, and if you if you look at the where I start that book is with an article actually about what indeed is the oldest profession and some you know jazzy white producer from california came up with the idea what the the monicum that we all are familiar with of what the oldest profession is this is not an old concept um and if but if so the the oldest profession in actuality is the nurse the mother and that's why you see nursing being um, the having a double meaning of the caretaker, the healer, and um, uh, the the provider at the bosom for the baby, right? Um, yeah. So the oldest profession is is nursing, and just like uh, the marijuana plant, um, it you know the the divine feminine is a provider just just like that, and and actually in researching the etymology. Of, of words, um, if you look into the uh, etymology of cannabis, it's actually from, uh, arguably, from uh, uh, the, the uh, Hebrew word for cannabisum, the Hebrew word cannabisum, which means bosom, right? And, and, and that's where, or where kind of the relationship started in uh, ancient, ancient Hebrew even. 
Yeah, it's interesting. You mentioned all the different uses uh, for cannabis and hemp. Last night we did an episode on all the archaeological finds and news and everything of recently, and uh, they discovered in the Alora Caves in India they used hemp as in with the plaster that made it stronger and helped preserve the caves for uh, a lot longer than they would have been. So, I mean, you see it all over the ancient the world and there's a lot of suggestions that uh, cannabis was soma or part part of soma um, things like that and as you mentioned um, it's been around for a long time and has a lot of uh, esoteric symbolism associated with it and even uh, biological aspects in the sense that we've been kind of like interwoven with this plant that and 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 not only not only humans but even in uh, all up and down the line insects have cannabinoid receptors right so we actually utilize cannabis in a way to make our immune system function properly right yeah i mean and obviously there's tons of research going on now that it's been made legal in a lot of states and i know there's a, still a big push to get some of the other states that aren't there yet you know to that that point but uh um, it's good to see that the the tides are turning, and um, I think that there can be a lot more medical research done because I think that at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what you know average Joe has to say about it if um, the medical industry or the medical field is against it. So I think that getting everybody on board with that is is huge too. So, um, but I want to talk for a second too about. Um, how did you get into all these subjects? Was it, was there some sort of like paradigm shift or I know you're big into the allegory of Plato's cave. Did you have a Plato's cave moment or? Well, I think if, if, um, if we were alive at that point in time and conscious of reality more than just being a kid, nine 11 was a paradigm event for me. Uh, but at one point, someone asked me, oh, wow, this is an amazing book, Ethan. How long did it take you to write it? And I said, well, about 35, 40 years, right? And so it's kind of like a evolving process in life, right? Um, um, but I would say that the 9-11 uh, event was a catalyst for me to start um, conceptualizing things um, it, in line with the allegory of the cave, but even just scratching the surface of what was the common thread, you know, because there's always um, something of, of, of there's always a veil to pierce. There's always something to uncover. And um, you, you mentioned you were from New York. So were you living in New York at the time that that happened or I was not actually. No, I was in California when that happened. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously that um, was, one... I happened to be in New York when the first world trade center attack unfolded the, the one that was in the 91 or something. Mm -hmm. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, I think that being your hometown, obviously probably definitely had a little bit more resonance and obviously people that sure. live there and stuff like that, it definitely hits closer to home. Um, but so going from there, like what was the first thing you got into in terms of like these subjects whether it be esoteric or occult or whatever what was the first thing that you really gravitated towards uh well i would say i kind of gravitated towards tai chi first because i kind of had you know the i, I 
being a snowboarder for so long and fantasizing about being a ninja, Tai Chi <laughs> just kind of had a, a real resonance for me. Um, and it really is philosophy in practice. Um, so many things that I learned in Tai Chi a long time ago, I found would unfold in learning new concepts that seemingly were unrelated. And that would that happened many times. Um, you know, the, after 9-11, I, I, um, a, a, quite a long time after 9-11, but with, with the politics of uh, this Orwellian uh, world that was developing with the, after 9-11, I, I started writing um, a book um, that proposed there was four types of consciousness. And I utilized the allegory of the cave to illustrate that. There being the uh, main two, the the chained and the unchained, and the third being the captor, and the elusive fourth being the freed prisoner. And um, I, I, I've divulged into many other different uh, systems and philosophies and found that there was often enough a set of four that was parallel or near parallel with this idea of there being four sets, uh, four types of consciousness. Um, and, and that led to uh, a, a pursuit into metaphysics uh, um, and, and so forth. When you say four types of consciousness, what are what are the different types of consciousness, or what does that mean to you? Well, uh, it's as almost like we we all have different levels in our life. So um, one way to look at it is, um, the, I think the simplest way to look at it is through the invention of fire, right? Um, one type of person will say, "Hey." check this out, I have this really great thing. You can cook the llama, you can cook the antelope with it, and oh, wow, this is great. And another person will, you know, keep the information to themselves, right, to use fire in a way um, that they can essentially farm the products of people rather than farm the, the, the fauna and, and, and the land. Um, and so, and then there's also uh, uh, the people that are completely unaware of the fire, and there's also the people that are convinced that fire won't burn them, or that they they have a, a certain idea about a thing that they can um, override actuality with belief. And this is actually you can you can see this play out. It, the allegory of the cave is. Sadly, it's it, although it's insidious in the Western world um, as far as its relationships in movies and stories and so forth, it's not so well known, right? Um, but but uh, perhaps uh, a better way to depict these four types of consciousness is through uh, the wise monkeys, which is really one of the oldest adages um, on the planet. Um, and it's mostly known as three. And many systems, I find, are confused as trinities, and they're actually sets of four, 
or, or quad, quadrinities. Or yeah, I was going to say, because most ancient civilizations revere three or the, the, the triangle or, you know, stuff like the pyramid, you know, stuff like that. So um, Definitely. Well, well, the pyramid is, is four-sided or rather eight-sided. Right. Right? Well, the Great Pyramid um, is, has, has eight sides. It has, well, maybe it has even nine if you look at the bottom, but it has um, uh, each... Uh, force each of the four sides has uh, is twofold, right? Mm-hmm. If, so if you can, they found that you, if you look at the Great Pyramid, not necessarily every pyramid, but um, they actually have kind of two parts to each wall. And yeah, I think um, just the Great Pyramid and the Chinese Pyramid and I, uh, the big one that they just let go with like all the you know uh, flora growing on it. They don't even really take care of it. I know. Or like, uh, you know, so I, there's not really much known about the Chinese pyramid, but yeah, I know that those are the two that have eight sides that we know of. Um, and that, uh, so the, the, the wise monkeys, there is, uh, see no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil. These are the three commonly known of this set of four um, and uh, to interject in Japanese and Mandarin, four is a homonym for death. So they have an aversion, a cultural aversion for four, just like in the Western world we have with 13. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the missing fourth uh, aspect of the wise monkeys is really the only one that's wise at all. And he holds, it holds, uh, their dantian, their center point. And he or it is fear no evil slash do no evil. Mm. So so there's the blind monkey, the deaf monkey, the mute monkey. And the mute monkey is more like uh, with the fire situation. I know exactly what's going fire, but I'm going to let these guys burn themselves and then I'm going to sell them bandages. Mm. Right. Yeah. So they're the secret keepers and and they're the ones that are responsible for our all the misinformation and delusion of reality that really is going on so much to the point where we literally um, are confounded by actual stone history as you guys uh, concentrate on that they say well we don't know how to explain that because we that doesn't go along with our story right right and their story is that we were um, we have now reached pinnacle when when actually it seems to me we've been degrading yeah i think um i think when you look at these subjects so like you have the material or the materialist point of view that most science and um mainstream you know academia sees and then you have this like whole other realm that like why are humans gravitated or why do we gravitate towards um, some of these esoteric topics and mysteries. And I think that that's actually what propels human evolution is actually this other side of things that makes us curious, that makes us look deeper, that makes us, um, you know, we want to discover something. And I think that um, that just gets like thrown to the wind most times and it doesn't even really get brought up. And, you know, whenever you hear an archaeologist talk about an ancient um, civilization or peoples, they don't really discuss like their their religions or their metaphysics or beliefs or whatever. So I think that that's 
an interesting point, and I think that that's why you see all these YouTube channels and people talking about this stuff, and you have you and you know Sacred Geometry, you have Randall Carlson, and you know you have Graham Hancock and all these people giving these alternative points of view because that's not really out there for most people on a day-to-day basis. I think we're so generationally soaked with lies too that we can't even quite explicate why we have the curiosity to the other, to the, for lack of a better term, alternative situation. Because we're so immersed in a situation that is, you know, completely corrupt. (laughs) Yeah, it's a lot more comfortable to just accept what's going on and kind of turn a blind eye to it. And I I think this is a a religiosity kind of construct, right? Where whether it's the religiosity of dogma or the dogma of the state, right? Where we get into a modality where, no, just stand in line. Don't get out of line. Don't Mm -hmm. question the situation. But as soon as you do, as soon as one does, just like you just said, there is the evolution, Right. There's the catalyst for refinement. Hmm. Don't you think, though, that there's also it becomes a slippery slope too? like this is what we've tried to do or cultivate on our show is that early on, I believed some of the more crazy outlandish things without really diving deep into stuff. And I think that that's what people as a whole do on social media. They hear one thing and then they run with it without actually doing a deeper dive. And the same thing happens within these esoteric and occult and all these topics too is where you know that somebody makes a connection but then they don't go further with it to like either debunk it themselves or figure out what's actually going on and with our show or what we at least try to do is do that deeper dive ask the tougher questions and i don't want to just blindly believe or have faith either i want to find some sort of not necessarily empirical but just something that i can hang my hat on and say this is what they were trying to get at back then, or this is the ancient wisdom that they were trying to teach. And it doesn't have to be associated with magic and mysticism necessarily. Cause I think that there's a lot of practical knowledge that can be learned from ancient civilizations too. But I do think, like I said, there is a slippery slope. You have a lot of snake oil salesmen. You have a lot of people, um, saying crazy outlandish things and getting people behind them. Because when you say crazy things, people gravitate towards that cause they want, they like the idea of something being um, such a paradigm shift to them that, again, that they don't really look into it that much. Yeah, we, we've become a very snippet society, right? Like everything is uh, a minute snippet of what was an hour-long speech to doctors or something to their, to their peers that can be then taken out of context and flipped um, into modes that it wasn't even meant to or it wasn't related to. Um, and this happens all the time. Um, and, you know, I, 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 this has been a real big uh, roadblock for me, or not roadblock, but something I'm aware of to get over as I research things. So to find... Um, a consistency in in diff- what we've been told are different cultures to find correlation and correspondence with peoples that are supposedly divergent. I think this um, helps us find like 
what was the really valuable teaching or lesson they were trying to impart? Um, you know, like, uh, when, when we get rid of all the superfluous, we can, we can find, we can find certain core teachings. Mm -hmm. Uh, something that has helped me do that actually is four. And, um, you know, like all, all these different, uh, cultures and places actually have really essentially remarked and celebrated the set of four. Um, another one that's amazing is the Om symbol, right? And, and it's, again, the oldest symbol on the planet, mm -hmm. right? Uh, one of them. And um, it is known as having three enunciations, but it actually has four. And, of course, the fourth one is going to go missing. The, the first three, A, U, M, mm -hmm. and the fourth, silence, mm -hmm. right? So the fourth in itself is this silent aspect, this meditative, this spiritual uh, um, uh, relationship that's, you know, uh, metaphysical in and of itself. It is beyond the physical, Um um, the Om symbol reflects the four states of consciousness, the sleep state and the wake state and the deep sleeping and the deep awakening. Mm -hmm. And and the fourth aspect of this consciousness is a, equitable to Buddhahood or Christ consciousness. It is um, uh, so, um, uh, described as being across the ocean. It's it's very hard to get to. The so four would be like kind of like what Gurdjieff was kind of getting at or trying to get people to... He, he was on it too. He was on it too. And likely, at least partly inspired due to the Ohm symbol because I know he was uh, deep into studying uh, Indian and, and Vedic mm -hmm. concepts. Um, and, and so the third state of consciousness is... You know, I refer to it as being in the zone, and it's that meditative state that we reach um, in our artistic or athletic endeavors, where people go, "Whoa, how did you do that?" I just, I don't know how I did it. <laughs> I've been doing it for 20 years, so it just kind of happened, right? Or whatever, right? It, it, you're just so in the moment where things move like it's a slow motion picture in a movie, if it's something like that, right? Um, the, the third aspect is definitely attainable and the first two aspects are we, if we get some sleep, we, you know, we can, we kind of are there every day. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but the third aspect is this special unique place that's really, um, tangible and graspable to us. The fourth state is this really exceptional, uh, enlightenment, mm -hmm. if you will. Yeah, it's interesting, and um, I think that when we talk about this kind of stuff, obviously, I, you know, for me, I can tell, like, we've had people reach out to the show, and I can kind of tell, I can tell who's genuine and who's actually done research and has something to connect uh, with within their research, you know? So I think that, um, obviously, when I, again, I looked into your stuff, and I saw that you were you were not only genuine, but you believed, you know, kind of what you're saying, and I, like I said, I think that when you talk about these topics, you have to go that route or else it's very obvious. So, um, you know, I, I actually, 
I like to believe in myself and my friends and my peers. I rarely like to believe in anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I like to I like to know a thing. You know what I mean? And right. so just to refine your point, not to dispute it. No, I'm, you're I'm fine. only refining um, um, in the sense that I think we believe a little bit too much nowadays, whether, whatever the subject, um, when we know a thing, that's when we kind of, let me get, is there a corresponding proof? Is there a, um, an out of the, uh, context proof that I can make this knowable, mm-hmm. you know, um, so I like to not believe except for myself. I believe in myself, but that's because of the, you know, the ancient rule or pursuit rather know thyself. Right. right? It doesn't say believe in yourself. Right. Well, that's the one that's <laughs> like, disputed, right? Some people say Socrates said that. Some people say Thales said that. That one's up in the air. I say well, Socrates, well, I but think, who knows? I think probably they they all said it. Right. You know? Um. Be, but but. Uh, in my research, I've been able to, whether it's Tai Chi and meditative movement and meditation or other uh, deeper concepts, I- I've been able to trace back things as far as India and then Egypt. Mm-hmm. I-, I haven't been able to get far- farther than that, although there may be. But I think generally even uh, such uh, um, wonderful figures as Plato probably um, and m- most certainly got a lot from Egypt. Right. right? Oh, yeah. Um, well, they all studied there, uh, you know, yeah. starting with Thales, who was one of the first physical philosophers. Um, and then you, you move on through all the pre-Socratics till you get to Socrates and Plato and uh, Aristotle. But um, the point I was, you know, there are other places that, you know, like you have the Hypogeum in Malta. Sure. You have crazy megalithic structures that hum at certain frequencies and stuff like that too. I wanted to ask you, uh, with, we were talking about the ohm. Um, do you think that that was used by many people? It was just the generic thing that everybody used. And by doing that, the consciousnesses were somehow connected through everybody using that mantra. Like nowadays they tell you to like have a private mantra. Don't tell anybody. I think there's even an episode of curb your enthusiasm where, Larry gives uh, Richard Lewis his mantra and then steals it back when he's not having a couple good days in a row. So um, do you think that that connects people uh, in that way? Or do you think that it's kind of like a template or how do you feel about that? Well, that's I mean, I I think it's almost um, one of those things that you could not say, but I think it becomes now where it is now a vibration that correlates and taps into um other people that have, you know, maybe said it before, but it's, it's more, I think Ohm is more like, um, an initiatory vibration, um, um, in that it begins all the mantras. Mm. Pretty much every mantra is started by Ohm Mm -hmm. and many actually likely end up with Ohm too. Um, so Om Mani Padme Hom is the mantra of Tibet, right? Om, mm-hmm. right? Um, it, it starts with Om, um, and uh, I mean all all sorts of more elaborate mantras start with Om. So it it also uh, the reason I say it might or I I want to say it's um, one of these primal enunciations um, and vibrations is that the the uh, A U M 
sounds are the ones that we can make without our tongue. Mm-hmm. So it's it's these really primal sounds. Um, so I think it's it's a a, a a primal resonation that you know whether whether it was the sound or there was another sound in a certain um, place where they weren't using om they were they're just right. doing different the vibration was almost the concept behind it um, in the sense that we're finding now oh sound heals vibration heals okay they were possibly doing that in different cultures you know with different sounds Mm-hmm. You know. Well, yeah, the vibration uh, or the uh, the frequency of ohm doesn't it like supposedly like activate most parts of your body too? So it's like it's it's supposed to be one of the more primal tones that mm-hmm. really, that boosts our our overall well being. Yeah, I don't I don't know the entirety of of that, um, yeah. but I heard that somewhere. Who knows if it's true? But I, uh, I want to just touch base on the eight and the. Um, Chinese and Egyptian pyramids, I, I, uh, pyramid ideas. Yeah. Um, um, I, I, I recently wrote a book called The Tao of Thoth, where I incorporate uh, Tai Chi lessons and practices, principles and practices, um, with the seven lessons of the Kaibalian. Um, a wonderful book written about a hundred years ago that is really kind of like source material for a lot of uh, new age uh, uh, streams that maybe run a, a different course. Um, and uh, the Kaibalian puts forth seven tenets um, or, or seven lessons or principles. And um, as I was looking at that, you know, again, like I kind of knew Tai Chi and the Eastern stuff only certainly not in a master level, but I, I knew that first. And then I started looking into the Kaibalian and so on. And uh, you might be able to picture around the Taiji symbol, the yin yang, mm-hmm. um, there is often this uh, set of eight trigrams, the Bagua, mm-hmm. right? And so the Bagua is, it's a martial art itself, but it's also a philosophy. And Bagua means essentially set of eight, right? We were talking about set of fours before. Right. Bagua means set of eight, and essentially it's doubling the yin-yang, which is also not a two-part symbol. It's actually, of course, a four-part symbol. Um, and so uh, I was um, trying to find how the seven lessons of hermetics or the Kaibalian um, were related to the eight uh, lessons, if you will, or eight elements of the Bagua. And uh, I was um, actually listening to Mark Passio, and he brought about the eighth tenet. And there I realized that there was the correspondence. But what I didn't, what Mark Passio didn't get into, and what I didn't learn until later was. Uh, Thoth, the the Egyptian god of of which all this is uh, the Kaibalian and Hermetics, he's and uh, and so forth. He's given attribution to. Um, he 
is named Hermes in Greek because of Hermopolis. Every every god um, in ancient Egypt had a city that was devoted to their worship. Um, and Hermopolis, it doesn't mean city of Thoth. It means city of eight. Mm. And when I found out that Hermes or Hermopolis meant city of eight, I realized that there I wasn't just projecting, you know, and, and with my obsessive compulsion disorder of having to do with numbers, um, that indeed there was a relationship between the tenets, eight tenets of Thoth and the Bagua. And as I was looking into it further, there is, uh, of course, there's the Silk Road. Of course, there were peoples that were trading um, with each other, and even though they were disconnected. Um, and, and so uh, it makes me wonder, you know, why were there the pyramids of the East and the pyramids of the West um, on these two kind of ends of... Uh, the the silk silk road if you will mm-hmm. uh, so uh the the thoth being the city of eight and um there is also the the god in china is um fuzi and nu wa they're a, a feminine and uh, a masculine counterparts and fuzi and nu wa are depicted holding get this a compass and square mm. and and their bodies are interwoven snakes just like the so many stories of the yin yang symbol but also just like the story of the staff of hermes you know, where it's like the caduceus where, exactly exactly yeah uh yeah and you mentioned i mean obviously uh there's the story of thoth where people know where he's reincarnated twice uh, you have Thoth, then you have uh, Hermes, and then you have Hermes Trismegistus. Um, and, uh, you know, there's some people that, I mean, there's the Emerald Tablets of Thoth, but, I mean, I've read it. There, There's no, I think that was put out by, there's, act, there, there's the real Emerald Tablets, which are an esoteric um thing and then you have i think somebody put out the emerald tablets I, of thoth which is actually written it's made up it's not from so. antiquity right, right. so um what have you i mean that's because the emerald the real emerald real tablets is where we get as above so below um, yes and that's the correspondence lesson um from the kaibalian hmm. um and also the the taiji symbol um this is a this is a um a very important lesson not only in martial arts but also in the philosophical attributes of the symbol and and so what we know as the yin yang symbol is in china in chinese called the taiji meaning the grand ultimate containing yin and yang and the yang in the yang and the yin and the yang. Did I say that correctly? But uh, there's the element in each main swirl, right? So there's the greater yin and lesser yin, the greater yang and and lesser yang. There's the four parts again. Mm. Um, And and, uh, uh, the, the grand ultimate nature of the Taiji symbol is that with the correspondence idea, 
you cannot have one without the other. And yeah. they are, are mutual, um, not only mutual, uh, com- uh, relatable, but mutual, um, de- mutually dependent. Absolutely. Uh, and I've thought about this before and I wanted your take on it. So, uh, you know, I meditate a lot and we, you know, I've mentioned, you know, obviously, you know, about our show, we talk about like psychedelics and stuff, but, um, just this idea came to me one time where, um, just thinking about Thoth, he's known as the scribe God, uh, he's known as like a trickster and all a bunch of other things, but, um, a scribe God from ancient Egypt and just the thought of, um, writing as a technology, most people don't think about that, but writing is pretty much how we got here. It's pretty much, I think it probably evolved consciousness more than anything else in in modern times. Um, So when you look at that, that is pretty much magic. So when people talk about magic, yeah, you can get crazy with it and, 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 and go down a rabbit hole and come up with some, uh, some of the more weirder aspects of the way people think about it. But then you have it as a reality where once something's written into existence, then it becomes real. And if you look at all the uh, hieroglyphs and everything like that, they probably revered that as kind of what I'm talking about is this altering of consciousness. Let's go to the next level with this thing, you know, because before that, I think the prevailing wisdom pre writing was that these oral traditions passed down from generation to generation. You have the Aboriginal oral traditions, you have, you know, the, um, uh, Polynesian oral traditions. So there's all these traditions that are found that predated, uh, writing that helped us evolve, but then you get to the whole writing thing. And I think it actually had a huge influence on us. Sure. And it, and it exponentially progressed, the world in that sense that we had the vocal teachings in the past, which, you know, helped um, an individual better themselves so that they didn't get stuck in the same predicament that the last generation did. But and then with writing, it it just exponentiated. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, every every media that we have now is basically dependent on our ability to process words mm-hmm. right so even even now you know it's it's because we're literate that we're able to impart something that people hmm I, i'll look into that <laughs> or whatever you know? um so i think it it really is magic in that sense and magic if you you know the 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 main part of that word is ma Right. The beginning of it is Ma, which is if you look all across the world, everywhere you go, Ma means Ma. It means just like I was saying earlier with the divine feminine, marijuana and the divine feminine, excuse me, and the prohibition of the divine feminine. um, Everywhere you go all around the world, not every language, but in most all totally separate languages, Ma, it all means mom. Mm. It all means the the feminine archetype, um, and and so in Tai Chi, if if you um, most most of the world is very focused on the Yang, the the masculine, the visible and the tangible and the material. Um, ma Jik um, is having to do with Yin, right, and that's where we really kind of can 
make and break new ground, mm. right? Um, and you know, if we if we're always in the physical, that's that's not necessarily bad. But if if we get into uh, well the beyond physical, the metaphysical, the spiritual, that's the yin aspect, and that's where you can really make things happen in a different way, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, like just just in the simplest, most basic thing, weightlifting, right? You can wait, do your weightlifting without your mind. If you use your mind to trick yourself that it's actually a heavier weight, your, your body will produce different chemicals and you'll actually kick off uh, a different um, uh, progression and, and level of strength, right? So you, sure. you can work out with a heavy weight and that's good. You can work out with a little bit lighter weight and act that it's much more heavy and get better results. Mm. So just one of the little, you know, tai, tai Chi, I sometimes describe it as a way to trick ourselves, right? Mm. And, and we trick ourselves all the time. And we're also tricked all the time. But we'll, we trick ourselves to be a better self, right? Um, to be more stable um, in, in flux and, and, and more capable of producing the good chemicals rather than being at the, um, uh, you know, at, at the orders or response to others pr- and produce negative chemicals. Right. I wanted to chime in here and, uh, we're talking about how language was kind of the beginning of, uh, magic. How, what's your feeling on now the internet and being able to transfer this, this language or ideas so freely do you think it has a positive effect or a negative effect obviously we're using it for our you know to to, to try and better the world but um i definitely see how it could have a negative effect as well well i think uh everything has a positive and negative what i've noticed in the last uh, i've been writing for different websites now for over a decade now and sharing stuff and i noticed different uh, um, different time periods where they would do different algorithms on uh, the the various social media and stuff. So um, I've noticed, um, I think that they, the proverbial they, the powers that be that would like the status quo to continue, really don't like articles or content thoughtful shows. Um, if one one dramatic shift that occurred in social media a couple i guess right around right before trump about four or five years ago now um was the institution of more snippets more videos of of dancing bears and so on and more pictures Mm -hmm. so pictures and videos are put to the front of the line um um and so that shows you what do they not want people checking out well, uh, on the simple uh, uh, surface aspect, they don't want people leaving Facebook, leaving the social media, right? So right, like Instagram was yeah. a good example of that with all the pictures and the videos. And even the videos get better results if you make a video than if you, make a, if you just post a picture. Right, right. And, and, and there's no way to even – I don't even know how to share an article on Instagram. Like, <laughs> like, Have you seen I, Social I, Dilemma I, yet? I know I have no. I have you no. gotta check that because I mean I, I think you can already guess what it's about. You know, like basically sure. socially sure. engineering our minds to gravitate towards certain things, and we're basically being 
uh, modeled in different ways as consumers and stuff like that. So yeah, it's definitely worth checking and, out. And and we all have our own uh, uh, little tubes of interests that the algorithm then plays on. And so it kind of is a back loop to whatever our our mind wants to stay in. It, it, we're perfectly, it, the the provider in that sense, the websites kind of will will provide that type of element. Um, so you have to really try to look outside the box, I think, still. Yeah. Um, so I, I think it's important to get thoughts out there that even if it's wrong or false, rather, not wrong, not right, that would be bad, you know, but if it's false, it might get people to fact check. Right. And so so maybe maybe even if there's a uh, an element that's, you know, not correct, if it's communicated in a video, if it's getting people to look into it, that's great. But if it's a snippet concept, then it people automatically presume that it's what they want it to be. And they have this zealous mode and that that is, I think, detrimental to, to all of us. Yeah, I think that that kind of comes down to even school and like philosophy and like being taught how to think, not necessarily like sure. what to think, well but like how to look into things and how to think and how to question things. And I think that philosophy is like uh, probably at this point, I mean, I don't even know if it's taught in most schools, but I think it was an elective maybe when we were in school. Um, so it wasn't, it should be an essential thing, just like civics. Sure. So we can get out of this, yeah, it's, this hole. It's that we're the in. most important thing to ask why, right? And, and, or even beyond why, but I, I think it's really lacking in the world today. People asking, is this the way it should be? I mean, I, I know I've, it's been this way for my whole life and, <laughs> My parents says it's just the way it is, but is it just the way it is? That takes that takes a big assumption, and and we don't even realize it because we're taught to just stay in line. Absolutely, <laughs> you know? exactly. Um, I want to pivot here a little bit. Um, I want to get into a little bit of the sacred geometry stuff. Uh, I want to talk about 108, and I we a long time ago um, when I learned that the you know about the uh, sun and the moon's diameters and the distance. And if you divide them, you, you know, you get 108. So why don't you talk a little bit about that? Cause I, I'm pretty yeah, sure you have good you know, knowledge. And I it. was sorry, sorry to cut you off. No, you're good. you're good. I was, I was finishing off, uh, the matrix of four book, which is all about this, this, uh, different sets of four and, uh, using that in philosophical terms. Um, and I met, a yogi uh, physics, uh, a yogi that had studied physics, believe it or not. And I asked him ignorantly about um, four and, and Hinduism. And he said, well, Ethan, it's uh, basically everything. And he told me about the Ohm symbol that I mentioned earlier. And my mind went, because I had this whole idea. And then I realized that, oh, wow, it's even older than I thought. Um, and and then he said, but Ethan, it's all about 108. And and I was vaguely familiar with 108 already because of Tai Chi. In most of the long forms of Tai Chi, there are 108 movements. Of course, they're counted as 108. It could also be counted as 137. Uh, you know, 
it's more to pay hom- the the numbering in this uh, the Tai Chi form is more to pay homage to 108. Um, so uh, as as you remarked, um, the distance between the Earth and the Moon is about 108 times that of the circumference of the Moon. The distance between the Earth and the Sun is about 108 times that of the sun, uh, circumference of the sun, diameter, excuse me. Um, and and uh, uh, so it, 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 in one sense, can be used to look for habitable planets outside of our solar system because the size and distance ratio, and depending on the type of sun too, there's, there's a place uh, that's right in this 108 uh, uh, provision, kind of, that would be habitable to people. Um, and uh, as I'm looking into it, um, I, I conceptualize that it is, you know, one of the simplest meditation instructions, even though it's this profound number that has so many mathematical and metaphysical elements, it is the simplest meditation instruction. Be one with the breath, let zero thoughts coalesce, and tap into the infinite. And of course, our number system in the West is Vedic, right? So um, these, these numbers were not necessarily the same, but the symbolism definitely was Mm. the eight being symbolic for the infinite the one being symbolic for the finite and the zero have nothing in between if you can have nothing in between the finite and the infinite you have uh, reached a level of mastery that all tai chi practitioners would adore and want to perceive so um the the 108 is the simplest meditation instruction, and it is um, also just a, a, a mathematically um, wild number. In in that, uh, it's it's one of the few numbers that can be uh, reached through uh, uh, um, even and odd multiplication, and it has it has all these uh, uh, mathematical constructs in it that are, mm-hmm. you know, quite beyond me. To you know, I'm not a mathematician, but um, the the uh, it's it's really really profound. Um, but you know, it's it's basically be be one with the breath. Let nothing in between. And and tap into the infinite. Um, wow, that's so. my, blowing my mind. I love it. <laughs> Isn't there yeah, something no, having to do with like 108 prayer beads too, or something like? Yes. The, um, actually, every religion um, has that that has prayer beads has beads in multiples of number 108. Hmm. In other words, 36, 54, um, um, 20 something is another one. 36 is a thir- uh, four. A fourth of a 108 and 54 is half um, and and the 108 beads of the Japa Mala um, where um, it's a, on the surface it's used to simply count mantras right um, um, as we we're speaking about before there's certain mantras that are said 
to provide certain cities or powers of perception and even action um, when you repeat them uh, after certain processes, when you repeat these mantras, you know, uh, 948,000 times, you will then obtain this city, this S-I-D-H-I-E city. Um, and uh, so, so it's used to count uh, mantras and there's actually 109 beads. There's the Raja bead, which um, you don't go over, right? Mm -hmm. So, so that way it it's you know um, becomes otherwise counting a mantra is like a thing unto itself. If you count, oh, I went back and forth. This is the odd direction. This is the even direction. That was ten times. That's this many mantra expressions. Right. Um, and so. Um, 108 is, is kind of everywhere, even in different, um, measurement systems. For instance, Stonehenge is all about 108. Um, uh, it, uh, I, I'm, I'm forgetful of the entirety to be honest, but I think it's set at a circumference of 108 and there are, uh, there's a, I think a, I remember that too, but I think it's like something to do with like the outer circle. That's not, there's, there's an, there's, there's a couple of different things. You, you, you might be right. And then there's also even the quarry supposedly is 108 miles away hmm. that, that they obtained the stones from. Yeah. Uh, we just to, talked about that last night. Actually, it was 25 kilometers. I don't know how many miles that equals. Okay. So, so maybe it's not, that. maybe it's not. I have no idea. But that I, might, that might something. come out to 108 miles. No, but, but, it, but there's something having to do with 108 miles that was quarried or anyway, but there's also a length of stone that's 108 feet there, or, or maybe it's a, a log or I, I forget the whole circumstances, but there's multiple aspects in measurement having to do with 108 at Stonehenge. Mm. Um, and certainly at, you know, all the elaborate, um, places in India, um, it's, it's found. Yeah. Um, and even, I think you wrote about what the Vedic astrology too. I read some article, I think that you wrote where it's talking about the 12 solar houses and Vedic yes. astrology yes, and then the, the, the nine, uh, lunar, mm -hmm. And then that time, you know, you multiply those and you get 108. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, 108 is, in that sense, it is, uh, it becomes kind of the, actually, like a lot of things we discussed earlier, especially Thoth. Thoth is this special god. He's, he's a god, but he's a god that travels in between the physical and the metaphysical, right? He's the messenger. Right. Um, that can that can go in between worlds, and 108. In that sense, it is the catalyst or the the start of astrology and astronomy. Right. It's it's a way to conceptualize energy through the stars and the actual physical movement of the stars. Hmm. Yeah, actually, for. The weird thing, so sacred geometry, the first time I even heard that term, I think was on Robin Big, that old MTV show, and 
uh, Rob Deerdeck, <laughs> they went in to buy like a bunch of like lotto tickets and they had all these sacred geometry. They called it sacred G and they had all these sacred geometry, like posters and stuff. And they were putting the tickets all over them and stuff like that. And they actually, I think the last one he did, he, he hit a big one, but, um, but yeah, that was the first time I ever even heard of that term before. You know, and as I, I was looking into my book, uh, the geometry of energy, how to meditate. And I did not necessarily find the 108 in that. And then I looked in my rearview mirror and it came to me because I had, I had carved 108 in my, or carved, I had written 108 in my dirty rearview win- window. And those Carved, are the he's got a chisel numbers. he's chiseling out the window <laughs> <Yeah>. 108 <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, 108 are the only numbers that when you look at them in a mirror they're the same mm. right i mean the one if you get elaborate with it it's not right but one is a line zero is a circle and eight is a, a, a two circles right infinite symbol right so they're the same when you look at them in the mirror or not. So I looked in the rear view mirror and it was 801 or whatever, but it was, the numbers were right. still obvious, right? Um, and so in, in that sense, 108 does have a relationship to sacred geometry in, in a parallel at least. Um, but what is, I think, a, a valuable parallel or correspondence? Um, so as I was the, the facet of sacred geometry that I looked into in order to explore meditation and really comprehend meditation, um, better, um, were, were the four dimensions of geometry. And these are, I think are not looked at in terms of, were not looked at in terms of sacred geometry that often. Um, and the, you know, geometry means measure of earth. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, Tai Chi is all about uh, m- comprehending subtle energy. Right. And so um, sacred geometry, in one sense, is comprehending energy that is metaphysical energy that, you know, um, it was perceptible, but not necessarily at that time by that person. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and so um, the points, lines, planes and solids or volumes Points, lines, planes, volumes are used um, to comprehend the measurement of Earth. The the um, com- it's used to um, for architect. It's used for everything, right? Um, and so, how are points, lines, planes, and volumes used um, in meditation or subtle energy comprehension? Well, it turns out uh, a lot of places. Um, and so. Um, in that sense, 108 is a line, and the circles are the most um, evolved um, forms of planes, right? Mm. So the, the um, circle is the, the zero. Um, and the eight, it kind of has, not only does it symbolize the infinite volume, but it kind of has, if you look at it, an eight, it almost looks like a little globe depiction. Right. Um, so, so the point is unsaid, but the point is always unsaid because it's unseen. And there's the line, the one, the plane, the zero, the eight, the, the uh, volume, symbolic for it. 
so yeah so let's talk about meditation for a second here um I mean, we've referenced it a couple times in this discussion. Uh, I meditate. I've been meditating pretty hardcore for about four years now. Um, before that, I tried it. I didn't really have any success. And then I had sort of like a paradigm shift slash personal spiritual awakening. And then uh, I kind of became uh, avid about it and actually learned that it takes practice to kind of get there. It's not something that you can just do one time and then you catapult off. I mean, I guess you could, but um, just you know, resting your eyes slightly over your whole eyeball and keeping them there, not letting distractions, you know, open your eyes and that kind of stuff. So, um, through meditation, um, I learned that everything in the waking world or when you're day-to-day conscious walking around or whatever, all you're doing is picking up vibrations and perceptions and different things. And when you meditate, you kind of, um, release yourself of that and you're connecting with something more primal, whether it's, you know, con the con you know, the um the primal form of consciousness, or maybe that's how we're all connected, or maybe, you know, there's a lot of people that theorize that consciousness comes first, kind of, or it's the uh you know, the um the causal part of the universe or whatever. But uh there's other dogmatic scientists that would argue against that. So um but when I'm in that state um, I don't do it normally. Like, I think that there's obviously different types of meditation. I'm not sit cross-legged and repeat a mantra kind of meditation. I'm, um, take a shower, stretch, uh, fa- have a fast that morning. Um, and then lay on top of the bed, not like under the covers or anything. And just like slowly put my hands over my chest and then go into like a visionary world where, um, yeah, I, I get rid of all the outside stuff, but then, you know, there's these lights that come that I try and follow sometimes. And, um, you know, so there's different types of meditation is, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And I, I feel like mine's a little bit more like visionary oriented than let's say somebody that's just trying to get rid of the outside noise. Um, but how do you meditate or like, how did you learn? Or is there, do you think that there's a way that's more effective than other ways or? Well, that's beautiful. I want to do that meditation. <laughs> and in fact, of course, of, of course, I do that meditation sometimes, right? So, so uh, I bow to you for sharing that. Um, there, in fact, are, some would say, four different types of meditation posturing. Standing, lying, as you described, mm-hmm. sitting, and walking. Um, some Taoists also say that there is the fifth, which would be sexual mm. union, right? So Tantra and so forth. Okay. Um, but essentially, there's four p- physical postures of meditation, standing, sitting, lying, and walking. Um, um, and I, I think the most important facet of meditation is clarity, as, as, as you touched on. Finding um, a way to remove the uh, attachments, remove the distractions, remove the um, upsetting interactions of the day to find clarity is really, you know, will enable you to find peace, will enable you to become enlightened. And, And to that, I think all these different groups not necessarily the religious aspects of them, but if you look at the religions in total, 
there's always in in the Islam there's the Sufi, in the Hebrew there's the Kabbalah, in the Christian there's the Gnostics, in the Buddha in the Buddhist there's the Tibetan Buddhists and the bones. In all these different systems, there is an elusive group that is retained or kept on trying to do what is the ultimate goal of our existence, arguably, let alone the goal of the institution of a religion. It's to obtain immortal consciousness, to have our consciousness supersede our very physical problem because we in in practicing tai chi we all have the physical problem right right when we when we get really exceptional at um self-defense in the infinite it's not about fighting it's about preventing there being a dilemma in the first place mm-hmm. right it's about offering the person that is upset a drink so that there is no fight Whatever it may be, there are are ways to um, become sensitive to the surroundings to where we can uh, uh, benefit uh, uh, in total as well as ourselves. And so, um, you know, uh, there's a Taoist notion um, before enlightenment, chop wood, carry water after enlightenment, chop wood, carry water. Yeah. Right. So so we're here. We're here, and we are here with the same type of gravity that everyone else is under. And and um, in order to um, reach a point of you know immortal consciousness, I don't really know. I'm still in that pursuit. But while we're doing that, and even after we do it, we're here. So yeah. so we might as well chop wood and carry water. For the old lady, or for whoever needs it, or for ourselves, or what have you. Um, so I, I think meditation is a way to enhance ourselves, and it can be done in innumerable manners. Um, the the reason I call the geometry of energy how to meditate, I call it how to meditate because I focus on the four aspects of meditation. That being concentration, having to do with the point. Connection having to do with the line circulation the plane and what I call unity expansion having to do with the volume and that is the sensation of uh, um, a mutual um, uh, Connection mutual understanding mutual being with our fellow man and even Our fellow grasshopper that happened to be on the same dirt at that time. Mm. Yeah, it's um, it's interesting, and actually, like I was mentioning before, like meditation separates you from the world of vibration and uh, the world of sound and all that kind of stuff. Um, uh-oh. Um, so, what do you think so far, Maurice? You digging this? Oh yeah, I'm very uh, intrigued and Mr. I'm vibration a lot. here. Sorry about that. <laughs> no, you're fine. No problem. Uh, so Maurice, I call him Mr. Vibration because he recently had kind of a spiritual awakening and he got all into this kind of stuff. And But it's true. I mean, we do re- you know, receive all these vibrations that we um, turn into perceptions and paint this picture of the, the outside world and reality. Um, that being the case, I mean, 
I'm just trying to think. So like when we've, we're musicians, we play music. I know the impact that vibration and sound has on you. And um, we're big fish heads and Grateful Dead fans. And we've been to all the shows and experienced all that kind of stuff. And when you're at one of those shows, um, you get blasted with this amazing sound and it kind of takes you to a place, you know? So um, not having that in the meditation, I think is a good, um, a good example that, even when we turn all that off, there's something amazing to be found within. Um, and we can kind of start to paint our own pictures without any sort of outside um, intervention. That's, that's exactly the intention of my exploration of the four dimensions of meditation in line with the four dimensions of geometry. Um, is, is to allow for the individual blossoming of meditation, not a dogmatic one. Um, because as, as you described your personal meditation, um, I think we all are trying to pursue the same peak from many, many, many different places. Mm. Right. And so what is suitable to one person on one side of the mountain is not necessarily suitable to the other person on the other side at a different elevation. It might not necessarily be bad, but it might not be the direction that they um, should aspire to at that point in time. Um, and so I think one of the very frustrating things for people that um, want to practice and learn Tai Chi is that they get a couple things and then maybe something happens and then they go to another teacher and it's totally different. And so it's a really frustrating aspect, but it's because it's a quality, not a quantity, right? And meditation is in the same um, uh, aspect that it's about how we are, not what we do, right? It's not, mm. it's not what is the, is your meditation Gnostic? Oh, well then, yeah, that's... Because you know, then you're just carrying it, the same thing that religion does, but into that realm, which is pointless. Exactly. exactly. And uh, so I think a big, big thing is to get rid of the um, adamancy and the is that the ardency. I, I, I meant to say the adamant approach and the ardency that we have to even our meditation constructs, and and uh, and and certainly the way we carry ourselves. I want to, you know, you've mentioned Tai Chi and I know you practice. Don't you even have some sort of Tai Chi session today? Later? I, I do teach. I teach often enough. Yeah. Um, so one, I don't, I don't know anything about Tai Chi other than I see older people doing it in parks sometimes. Um, what, what's going on there? Like, what's the, the basic gist of it? Like, cause again, we know nothing about it. So why don't you, and I, I don't know if our listeners do, but why don't you describe kind of the base tenets of it and how you do it and what you get out of it and. Well, it's, um, I've never experienced anything in life that doesn't have a hangover besides Tai Chi. So I always ask people what it, the new students, I always ask them, why do you want to learn Tai Chi? And whatever reason they say it will help them. <laughs> right. It just so happens. There's a, only a, a few things that everyone says most of the same thing, but Tai Chi, if you, if you're doing it for your bad knee, it's going to help your patients. If you're doing it for 
your uh, your patients, it's going to help your knee, right? Um, and and all kinds of different things. You, it's uh, like you don't even realize how much you've developed until you look back because it's an ongoing process, right? I guarantee you would not have Ethan from the Bronx when I was 15 on your show, <laughs> right? There's been a, a certain level of refinement that happened softly, gradually, um, but but that, that's that's kind of what we do in Tai Chi is promote self-development in our own our own capacity, right? Um, one of the one of the great aspects of Tai Chi for physical um, how you can carry yourself um, um, is to never be double weighted never have your weight 50 50 right okay. so if you're in a if you're in a position where you have to stand in line or stand for a long time you want to have your yang foot and your yin foot right most of the weight on one foot and and uh, and less on the other and never lock your joints mm -hmm. never lock your knees even um and to to uh, uh, from that is what I call the 70% rule. Um, and this is another thing that you can just put in your back pocket and carry with you. Um, and, and it's helpful for innumerable, innumerable processes. Um, when, when we move in Tai Chi, when we breathe in Tai Chi, when we practice and the amount of time we practice, we want to go to about 70% of our capability. Right. So um, if if we take on a month long project and go 100 percent every day, where will we be at the end of that month? Our level of productivity will have diminished. Mm -hmm. I guarantee it. Whatever the project is, if it's a workout program or writing the book or whatever, if you go 100 percent every day, you're going to burn out. No matter what, your and your, right. your level level of uh, productivity will diminish, so that even that you're doing a hundred percent, it it's like five percent of what you started out as at the beginning of the month. Mm -hmm. If you go seventy percent every day on say a thirty day project, but any level of any length of time or any level of of uh, action, if we go seventy percent every day, our level of productivity increases. By day 30. By day 30, we're doing like our 70% is potentially twice as much as what it was on day one. Mm. Right. So this, the 70% rule is uh, how we um, move in a relaxed manner. Right. One of the best ways to meditate that is also seriously one of the most difficult is to stand in universal pillar posture which just means standing <laughs> it's uh, the chinese the chinese are more beautiful in their language than the french they have everything is a blossoming lotus or a universal pillar but it, it's also known as the wuji stance w-u-j-i and you just stand and you and you do it ideally no music just the quiet and you find how you are working with gravity mm. and where there's different levels of tension. And a great trick in Tai Chi 
and and another thing to put in your pocket when there's tension bring attention to it mm. right so what's what's the opposite of tension attention <laughs> right so a tension um but when we bring attention to tension then we can start to instigate healing if like if we don't our bad shoulder when we don't give it attention when we don't try to do something about it one day it goes boink and we go yeah that that was still bad yeah of course it was bad it is it's not it's right. you're 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 immortal dealing with the gravity of earth it, it ain't easy here right so um and and to, to your point about meditation earlier tai chi is not about hey i learned it and i'm done it's about always refining mm. always refining and and practicing um you know daily because we're here dealing with gravity you know all every day yeah when you the whole I made a joke, you know, the 70, you were a hundred percent right on the 70% thing. Yeah, I was going to say, man, uh, I was this anchor man. <laughs> um, but we'll have to steal that one. That is a good one. <laughs> but, but it, it's true in the sense that look, look, um, I'd never even thought about it that way, but like early on when sure. we did this podcast, I was, you know, you know, full speed 100%. going through all the ancient yeah. texts, going through, all the esoteric stuff, connecting all the dots. And, you know, I think there a little bit of pareidolia crept in there too. And I think a little bit of, uh, like you said, I just got tired out on it. And, um, I learned that, um, well, I kind of had a paradigm shift in there too, about how all that, all talking about all that stuff's great, but you have to actually look into it and see what's what, because there is a lot of nonsense out there. But from doing that and doing this podcast, I learned, the 70% thing is true in the sense that there's going to be weeks we can't get one in. Maurice is out of town. I've got this. I got that. You just kind of got to move on with life and keep it going. And then there's times where, you know, we'll do three, four episodes a week. So it's just this thing where you kind of have to go with the flow and you got to put in at least a little bit of something into the craft, to, you know, to keep it improving. And if you watch one of our first episodes till now, the quality, the audio quality, the visual quality, the the topics, the everything's just that much better because I do see it as a craft and I do see, you know, I do put work into it and I do produce these systems. And once these systems are in place, then you can really hone that 70% in and just play off the system and just kind of, you know, have fun with it. Well said. And I, I am of the nature too to just start going start running and then see how how things unfold and what needs to be shifted and refined um i think if if we are to wait till we get things perfect we'll probably be waiting a long time right mm -hmm. so just getting in the game that's that's i think uh the way to do it uh, i was going to elaborate on one more point about 70 percent if god forbid but this can be um uh, metaphor, but God forbid we're in a confrontational situation. If if I extend my arm out at a at 99%, a bad guy can just twist it to 101%, and that means damage mm -hmm. to me, right? Really easily. If I'm at that 70%, like you said, oh well, this week we got to expand our work contribution and efforts. You you have 30 more percent to give. Right. You have no no breaking is nowhere near where you're at.
right? Um, so the 70% rule allows you flexibility to expand. If you're at 90%, you can't, there's no room for that. You know, one thing yeah. I, I realized recently is with dealing with people, uh, specifically um, a young person, but, but it, people in total, I pretty much talk to the young person just like I'm talking to you. I, I rarely shift. I don't, I, I try not to be condescending or silly. There's certain things I don't talk about, but I'm always talking very straight up and eye to eye and never, barely, barely ever do I raise my voice. Right. But if I do, then they know it's serious, right? If, if I go from 70 to 95 in my enunciation, the person goes, oh, that's out of the beat for Ethan. What's mm -hmm. going on here? If someone, like most people in the Western world, are functioning at 90% all the time, and then they get upset and they go to 95, no one even bats an eye because mm -hmm. that's their rate, right? That's so if, if you're at 70%, you can actually engage much more efficiently at, at a lot of different levels. Um, so Tai Chi is about finding structured relaxation. In in that is a is a seventy percent mode, right? Yeah, it was just for some reason I was picturing you were doing that, like talking to a, my cat the same way you would talk to another <laughs> human being. And I, I've seen people do that too. Actually, I you know I've I've seen I've encountered that in real life, like somebody talking to their dog, like they're talking to their wife or their husband sure. or whatever. And it's it, when you think about it like that, is is actually kind of funny. But it's like, what do we know? about animals perception too, you know, like it's just, I think they're just responding to certain cues and tones and vibrations and stuff, but sure. who knows? Um, I mean, I think most of it is tones and the sensation of the right. vibration, but they definitely have a vocabulary. There's too. an energy thing there too. You know, if, you know, yeah. I'm talking to my cat, Oh, you're, you know, you're so cute or something like that. You know, she flips over and wants to be rubbed and stuff like that too. And she also knows, Hey, don't do that, you know? And, um, totally. so yeah, I mean, I, I, it's the same thing with us. It's just picking up these cues and vibrations. To, to, to the idea of energy. Bruce Lee, you know, he grew up practicing Wu Tai Chi with his father mm. and then got into martial arts. Um, so um, it, Bruce Lee was like, a, you know, a really badass dude, right? But I don't know if the camera can pick up this gesture that I'm doing right now. Yeah, yeah I can. Um, so like it's either come here or get out of here. Hey, right. get out of here. Come here. Right. And so which one are you putting out there? Right. Which one are they receiving? Right. And so but it's the different. There's hardly any difference. Right. And and it's all about the energy of it. Right. Right. And so if Bruce Lee goes like, hey, come here, you want to fight? You you run away. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that No matter what Bruce Lee is doing with his hand, you, you go backwards. Right. No, no, thanks. <clears throat> Um, so if you were gonna if you were gonna uh, give a pointer or give some, because uh, I'm interested in getting involved with Tai Chi stuff. So for someone like me who has no uh, concept of it, like what would be the first step to get into it? Well, there's all kinds of wonderful um, teachers online. YouTube. I mean, the best teachers in the world are on YouTube. Whatever mm -hmm. subject, whether you want to learn about nuclear physics or Tai Chi. Um, I find or both in the same video. Or, yeah. or both <laughs> at the same time. Right. Um, it is important to get uh, personal instruction with Tai Chi. 
as it is with most anything. But it's, it's important because the teacher will give you some physical adjustments and also give you the uh, principles towards what he might see as you needing adjustment on um, or they might see. Um, so uh, whatever area you're in, I bet you can find some Tai Chi. I would, um, uh, it's, you know, Tai Chi and yoga and meditation, I think uh, martial arts are these systems that are so fantastic that a lot of people get caught up in the pursuit of the right teacher, mm-hmm. be the right student. And, ah. and you'll get you'll get a lot out of whatever teacher you go to. So pursue being a good student and you'll get a lot out of whatever YMCA Tai Chi might be fantastic. Not to diss on anyone. I'm, I mean that like you really can find um, lessons um, through through most anyone if you pay attention, you know, but then you, you find who you click with and who you don't, of course. Um mm-hmm. But, uh, but, you know, um, uh, YouTube has some of the best teachers, but just for personal beginning instructions, you'll get the principles and some of the core movements. Um, arm swinging is really simple and really the most important basic Tai Chi. It, look into that. Um, and uh, that's just this really primal movement that you'll see kids doing all, all the time and they don't even realize they're doing it. But we're just kind of rotating the axis and swinging from our center. Um, but yeah, I, I would just just pursue whatever teacher you can find and test it out, see what you like, what you don't, you know? Um, and, and just know that it's yours. Whatever their Tai Chi is, you then take and say, yeah, I like point A and point B, but point C and D, I'm going to let that fall off for right now. I'm not going to give that too much. Because you can only, like we were saying, or kind of touching on, you can only do so much in a day. And you can only learn so much at a, at a time, too, you know? Hmm. Um, mm, absolutely. So, so yeah, I, pursue it because it will help you be better you, certainly. It, it will maybe you won't be the next you know fighter you won't be the next uh whatever but whatever it oh, is maurice is no well, i want to be the next van damme baby <laughs> yeah <laughs> well it, it'll help because bruce lee really started with tai chi and and i think that is a big part of how he was able to facilitate what is the meaningful and what is the superfluous and he was able to bring it all into the important stuff and in meditation or martial arts, yoga as well. What's important is not necessarily the you know complicated maneuver, right? Yeah. It, it might be something really, really simple. Um, just structured relaxation, for example. Absolutely. Awesome. Thank you. Um, so I, I definitely want to have you back on at some point in the future because I haven't been, I wasn't able to check out some of your books before we had you on, but uh, I'm almost done with a couple that I'm reading now. And when I'm done with those, oh, cool. I'll, I'll definitely check out yours and maybe we'll have you back on here in the future. But um, what's, what's like the most um, important thing that you've learned or the most, um, you know, influential thing that you've learned through your research and looking into these things, something that, you know, you've taken away that you've been like, this is, this is part of the, the big picture here. 
Gosh, that's a that's a that's a huge question. Um, and I'm a huge man. I, so there you I go. would say that uh, it is the distinction begins with the distinction between individuals and institutions. And if if we can understand the pursuit of individuals is immortal consciousness, and that's the high-level pursuit. There's all kinds of places we can pursue uh, before that. Um, and, you know, uh, most everyone that is pursuing anything is, right? Mm-hmm. Um, um, athletes, they're, they're, they're pursuing something above themselves, something bigger than their current state of being, if you will, um, and meditators too. Um, so knowing the distinction between individuals and institutions and then elaborating on individuation and getting rid of institutionalization. Hmm. Well, that <laughs> so, makes sense. So yeah, we, we need to really know like our brother is in China too. Our brother is in Russia. Not our brother is the Russian state. Not right. our brother is is some other state that we may be under. Even. You're just saying we're all humans. We've all been babies. We've all been yep. influenced and taken different paths, and we're all still here. And we need to figure it out. And and pursuing individuation rather than institutionalization, right? Where we blossom to what is ourself that's best for ourselves and those around us, right? Not just not like. Pr- Pursuing uh, the rewards for working for a situation, that's not necessarily individuation, right? Right. That's something that's positive maybe, but it's pursuing riches is not it, right? Mm-hmm. It's pursuing individuation and not being institutionalized because I think we get, we are so institutionalized in general, we don't even realize it. We'll literally fight for car companies. Right. <laughs> Don't you think we will know ourselves better through learning more about ourselves? Like right now, everybody's so concerned about everybody else. Nobody's really paying attention to themselves with the state of the world and everything. But don't you think through, you know, looking internally through introspection and meditation and um, just learning more about who you really are and um, that kind of a thing, that it might connect you more to other people than possibly even looking out in the outside world and reading social media and whatever? Sure, and and it reminds me of what Socrates said. I believe it's Socrates, not Plato. We don't learn anything; we just remember. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so, if we if we give ourselves time to remember, then then really, when we come to that place of reading something and and literally learning and adopting information, it it blossoms anew and differently. Right. If mm-hmm. if we if we have, you know, it's it's the I think the difference between the neophyte and the master. Right. When you when you, you the neophyte can learn all kinds of stuff. Right. But to master it requires going within or at least going away from other people. You may not have to like be too esoteric about going within, but right. you have to get away from them. Right. right? I, and that is again all these different cultures and groups all across the world they all point to that because we are easily 
being sensitive creatures, we're easily hit by people's vibrations. Mm -hmm. And often enough, people are trying to distract us. They're trying to make it so we don't develop, right? Sure. Like if, if you're in a, a situation where you're focused on self-development, people will, it's almost as if they're trying to pull you down, right? Mm -hmm. it, they almost, they don't, you don't even have to tell them about it. They'll just sense it and they'll try to throw some uh, wrench into the system, you know? Right. Um, so, um, but often enough, they're seeing that you're, doing better and less um, in a response system or a reaction system. And, and they'll try to like, they want to rise up with you, mm -hmm. right? It's like they're, they're grasping onto this balloon that's going up and you're like, no, you gotta, you're holding me down. Right. You get your own balloon. Um, so I think yeah. if, if we focus on just, and it doesn't have to be, esoteric in 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 its its elusive sense right it just has to be esoteric in inner um lessons and inner development yeah and i i mean even the esoteric stuff's not really that esoteric it just takes time to look no, into it no, you know so i mean that's it just has a bad rap it it, it seems like it's not relatable it right. seems like it's something that you know, like how many times people tell me, oh, you do that, you practice Tai Chi, that must be nice. Yeah. As if, as if I don't lift cinder blocks too. Right. As if I don't deal with gravity too. No, I practice Tai Chi not to not to be able to carry wood and uh, chop wood and carry water. I do it so I can do that better. Right. right. It's not, it's not that I, <laughs> we're, it's, it's, I mean, there's a, a way to carry water in a relaxed place too, right? So mm -hmm. um, that's, that's a refinement we can make. But it's not necessarily to get away from doing things. It's to do things better. You need and to get, yeah, you, time. but you made a good point. You do need to get away. And um, you mentioned Plato and Socrates and uh, this whole concept of getting away and looking at social media and the world right now for what it is. Reminds me of, I don't know if you're familiar with the Euthydemus and um, uh, Dionysodorus and his brother and they're using heuristic rhetoric and they're just taking it way too far. And for people that don't know what heuristic rhetoric is, it's rhetoric used to just win an argument but not searching for ultimate truth. Um, and right now, if you look on the internet, that's all it is, is people just trying yeah. to win arguments. Nobody's yeah. trying to really <laughs> search for truth. Um, so that's actually, that's one of... Plato's better works. It's a critique on sophists and uh, sophism. Um, and yeah. it's relevant to this day because if you look at most of academia and institutions and everything you, you mentioned, is they're pretty much all just sophists. And it's all just sophistry. Absolutely. Um, and I think that the way that we get out of it is, number one, recognizing that and not being stuck in that whole matrix of that. But also, number two, um, look deeper, you know, look for the truth. What is, and truth doesn't have to mean some objective truth. Just like, what is the truth to you? You know, what is it to you? Like, what's your truth? Um, and I think that, uh, I like what you're doing and I like your research and I like everything, your, your topics. And I think you have a Thanks, good, uh, outlook on it. And, uh, I really appreciate you coming on and talking about this kind of stuff. And, um, you know, I, like I said, we'll have you back on again, obviously, in the future after I get to read some of your books. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, is there anything else you want to plug here before we wrap you know, it up? I, 
I, I hope people check out the Geometry of Energy, How to Meditate, and the Tao of Thoth. One more little thing to take in your pocket. Um, the pursuit of impartiality will destroy all those BS belief systems. And we can literally do that ourselves, mm. right? We need no teacher. We don't need to look outside ourselves like you were talking about. So pursuing impartiality, that is a self-critique, self-study that we can spend the next year or two on, <laughs> right? Um, and, and so uh, if we are partial, we're incomplete. And if we are partisan, we're really incomplete. And so when we pursue impartiality, it can really blossom the, the inner wisdom and that remembering. Awesome, man. Well, thank you so much, Ethan. You can check out his website. I have it down below. If you're listening on an audio platform, I'll have it down below. If you're listening on an audio platform, this is a live. We do our show live on YouTube. Check out our YouTube channel if you haven't already. Um, and uh, we have slideshow episodes and stuff like that. And if you're, you're watching right now on YouTube, check out our audio platforms. We're on all of them. Spotify, um, SoundCloud, iTunes, you name it, we're out there. So check those out and check out Ethan's books. Um, is Can they be found other places or just have them go to your website? Just you Amazon right now. I, I had a publisher at one point, but no longer. Okay. So check them out on Amazon and uh, also check out our stuff. Uh, you can check us out at mindescapepodcast.com. We have everything on there. Uh, we have a blog too, which I started, you know, I did the first one a while back, the first post. I'm probably going to write another one here shortly. I'm trying to get Maurice to write one as well. Um, and check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash Podcast For $2 a month, you'll get exclusive content. And, um, yeah, that's it. Oh, also, one more thing. Again, head on over to indrasweb.org. Um, sign up to get an alert when the app goes live. This is an app that we created. Uh, it's to connect uh, open, open minds. So if you have you know, fringe hypothesis or theory, or you want to talk about, you know, weird stuff, whether it be uh, UFOs or paranormal stuff, you want to talk about ancient civilizations, whatever, the, the app is just meant to have rational discourse so we can get to kind of the truth of each of these topics and what's true, what's not, that kind of a thing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, check that out. And if anybody doesn't know, the idea of Indra's web, it's actually Indra's net, which is these, um, it's kind of a, a a Vedic concept, and I'm sure you can kind of speak to that too, Ethan, where it's this idea that this there's this cosmic net and all these jewels are reflecting off of each other. And if you look at our universe, that's kind of what the universe looks like as you zoom out. So that's kind of what our thinking was behind that. Yeah, that's an awesome idea, the web of acacia. Yeah, there you go. Um, cool. But yeah, thank you so much for coming on. This thank was you, a, sir. This was a really fun episode thank to do. And... Uh, we love everybody out there. Stay safe, and uh, we'll catch you next time. Peace. Cheers. Peace.